Hi there. Welcome to Nature Spirit, exploring the spirituality of a living world. I'm your host, Priscilla Stuckey. I've been thinking about animals recently. Actually, I do that a lot. I enjoy the company of animals, and I feel more alive, more myself, when I can hang out with them. So for decades, I lived with a dog or a cat or both, and on top of that, I connect with animals as regular mental health and spiritual practices, walking with a dog and listening to birds or hiking in a forest or rehabbing wildlife. I've done all of it, a lot. And now that we live in Hawaii, we're getting to know the fish and wildlife of our local reef, and I'm keeping a life list, more than 150 species so far on this reef, and we've barely started on the limu, the seaweed. And from all the thousands of hours I've spent around animals, one thing stands out. Animals live to live. They're dedicated to surviving. I wish the same could be said of us, but I have my doubts. Let me explain with a story. We all know how fierce mother bears can be in protecting their young, But some years ago, I learned that even deer, who look so shy and sweet and quiet, can get murderous on behalf of their children. We were living in Boulder, Colorado, and a doe gave birth to twin fawns somewhere in the dark corners of our backyard. We'd just gotten a new puppy, and he hated anything that moved on the property. So we soon learned to keep the back door shut so he wouldn't see the deer. But one June afternoon, the warm sun was just too inviting, and I'd left the door open to enjoy it. And just then, Mama Doe drifted into the yard, browsing in the grass. Her fawns were out of sight. But through the screen door, our puppy saw the doe and rocketed into high gear, barking and snarling. The doe lifted her head and stared at the door, She took one step toward the house, then another. Then she was striding fast toward the porch. By the time I reached the door, she already had one hoof up on the tiny porch and was heading straight for the screen. As I slammed the door shut, I saw murder in her eyes. I hope I never see such focused intent on an animal's face again, ever. At least not when she's heading straight toward me. It wasn't exactly fury. It was a blazing intent to rid the world of this danger to her little ones. And she would have, too. Deer have sharp hooves, and they can and do trample dogs that threaten their babies. That mother doe didn't dawdle or delay. She didn't hesitate. She just did what had to be done in the moment to protect her children. In the face of big dangers, like a pandemic and climate change, we human beings are not doing the same. We are failing in spectacular ways to protect our children. So, let's talk for a minute about the pandemic. Back in 2020, at the start, we heard a lot of things about COVID and children. Things like, it's not as severe in children, or children are not likely to die from it. And most of us breathed a huge sigh of relief. At least the kids would be all right. But those messages turned out to be only partly true. They were hopeful messages that everyone wanted to believe, but they were messages that minimized some of the real dangers of COVID. 
But those messages kept getting repeated, even after it became clear that they weren't the whole truth. And eventually these minimizing messages won out at every level of society, from local school boards to the top decision makers at the CDC. We've abandoned, one by one, every effort to slow or stop the spread of the disease, for children as well as adults. We still have vaccines, which do decrease the severity, but they do not stop the virus from spreading. We're essentially practicing a letter-rip policy, and children are completely vulnerable. We've left the kids unprotected. Minimizing is a form of denial. Denial is deadly. When we're in denial, we're determined for the world to be other than it is. And people who are in denial often fail to take care of themselves. They aren't fully committed to surviving. So, right now, many children are getting sick. And it makes sense when you realize that almost all children and adolescents have already caught COVID at least once, and some more than once. And when you factor in also that after even a mild case of COVID, every child, as well as every adult, is at greater risk for other serious conditions, such as heart or kidney or lung failure or diabetes, it all adds up to a nightmare of a health crisis. The kids are not all right, after all, and it hurts my heart. We are failing to protect the children, something so basic that all other mammals can do it without even thinking about it. And maybe that's exactly the point. When a mother doe attacks to protect her young, she is not thinking about it. Not a hair of daylight exists between her mind and body. She acts in perfect harmony with what needs to be done to survive. But we humans have this magnificent forebrain, which allows us to reason and think about the world, and our thinking brain is so powerful that it can direct us right away from physical realities. Humans are able to live in denial. I'm not sure any other animals can. The irony is that for centuries in Western culture, we've considered ourselves so vastly superior to the other animals because of our reasoning power, yet we've never really grasped that it may be our reasoning power itself that can direct us away from surviving. We may be the only animals who can live in denial. The cure for denial is waking up to reality. It means dropping our defenses against what is. Many people go to therapy to wake up. Therapy often involves facing difficult life experiences and feeling all of our most uncomfortable feelings about them. Being willing to feel brings us to the truth of who we are. Connecting with nature is another path to waking up. It is hard to be in denial if you practice being present with nature. Going forest bathing to soak up the goodness of trees, or sitting beside a stream or a lake or an ocean, or listening to our own body, which is our own solid presence in nature, each of these, if we do them on a regular basis, will bring us face to face with what cannot be denied, with the reality of a physical world whose mysteries we cannot fathom and whose power is beyond our reckoning. And here we come to what may be the crux of denial, the fear that we feel in the face of a nature that we don't understand and can't control. 
A virus is another actor in nature, powerful and changeable, so we are vulnerable in its presence. And then we are tempted to leap to arrogance in order to mask this terrible awareness of just how precarious our lives really are. Fear and arrogance, it's a toxic brew that propels us straight toward denial, toward erecting walls against knowing our vulnerability. To live is to be vulnerable, to illness and accidents and dying. And when we are all tied up in denying the truth of how precarious life is, we cannot feel compassion either for ourselves or others. Compassion requires the truth. Being truthful about our fears, about our vulnerability, allows us to relax into compassion. To crawl out of the bunker of denial is to allow the heart to grow. To touch reality is to emerge into largeness of spirit. I think of being truthful as becoming more like animals, living from the power of a mind and body joined with no separation, acting with singleness of purpose, no minimizing, no dithering. It is how other animals live, looking out for their survival, taking care of themselves and their families and communities without a second thought, seeing reality clearly and acting in accord with it, no denial. I recently discovered that none other than Carl Jung shared this perspective. A hundred years ago, he recommended what he called living your animal. It's a rich phrase, and I wondered what he meant, so I delved into it further. When he was around 40, Jung went through a several-year process of opening to the images or visions that arose in his mind in the evenings during his off-work hours, and he wrote them down in what became titled The Red Book. In one section of The Red Book, he wrote about how animals are well-behaved and just. He recommended that we human beings learn from animals how to treat others fairly. There is not one animal, he wrote, that conceals its overabundance of prey and lets its brother starve as a result. There is not one that tries to enforce its will on those of its own kind. Not a one mistakenly imagines that it is an elephant when it is a mosquito. The animal lives fittingly and true to the life of its species, neither exceeding nor falling short of it. For Jung... To learn to live fittingly and true in this way was to live your animal. And it is crucial to live your animal, he said, because if you don't, you will not treat other human beings well. Humble yourself, he wrote, and live your animal so that you will be able to treat your brother correctly. Many people today think that acting like an animal means following raw physical urges for food or sex, or that it means acting wild and crazy. There's a long story in Western history, stretching back 2,500 years to Plato and Aristotle, that animals lack reason and that they act only out of passion. In modern science, it morphed into the idea that animals act out of instinct— with instinct being defined as something different from feeling or comprehending. So we've been denying reason and understanding to animals for a very long time. But Jung took issue with this view. In a seminar that he taught in 1930 when he was in his 50s, he said, People think the animal is always jumping over walls and raising hell all over town. Yet in nature the animal is a well-behaved citizen. 
It is pious. It follows the path with great regularity. It does nothing extravagant. So, if you assimilate the nature of the animal, you become a law-abiding citizen. You go very slowly, and you become very reasonable in your ways. For it is very difficult to be reasonable. You are quite different from what you assume the animal to be. I like that view. Jung saw that animals abide by the laws of their kind. They don't forget their own. Living your animal does not mean acting wild and crazy. It means rather the opposite, treating others fairly, sharing your goods with others, caring for your family and community. And in fact, these are the traits that more recent animal scientists find when they observe animal behavior. They discover among animals a sense of fairness and justice, an urge to cooperate. I think of what animal scientists Mark Beckoff and Jessica Pierce wrote on the very first page of their book, Wild Justice. Let's get right to the point, they wrote. In Wild Justice, we argue that animals feel empathy for each other, treat one another fairly, cooperate towards common goals, and help each other out of trouble. We argue, in short, that animals have morality. Beckoff and Pierce are not the only ones revising the old story. Other animal scientists find that animals are so fair-minded that they may feel distressed or even angry if they get a treat that their companion doesn't get. When it comes to fairness and justice and seeing reality clearly, we have some big things to learn from animals. And my background in religious studies shows me much the same thing. I've engaged in a number of spiritual practices over the years, and each one of them is trying to help people remember how to be whole, how to stitch body and mind into unity again, so that we can treat one another with more fairness and more compassion. For instance, yoga. The word yoga is Sanskrit for yoke, and the practice of yoga is designed to yoke together body and mind, to bring us into a cohesive whole so that we can act from a pure and ready heart, a heart that is fully aware and in touch with reality. Or I think of Zen Buddhism, with its breathing meditations and its koans designed to help people get out of their thinking minds and into something more elemental, a way of being that is more direct, more in harmony with how things really are. Neither yoga nor Zen, as far as I know, takes their model consciously from animals, but from all I know about animals, this unity of body and mind is exactly where other animals dwell from the start, and it's what we humans have to practice through meditation or therapy or spiritual disciplines to remember. From what I can see, the goal of many religious traditions is to help people remember to live their animal. In the spiritual practice I engage in and teach, we make this very explicit. The practice is one of going on meditative journeys with animals as interpreters of spirit. We call them spirit journeys or shamanic journeys. The process of the journey is very close to what Jung himself practiced in what he called active imagination. It's a process of becoming quiet and then allowing images to arise in the mind. And then, instead of trying to direct or control the images, we just watch them and open to them and see what can be learned from them. 
I might frame the practice a bit differently than Jung did, but the actual moment-to-moment experience in a journey is very similar to how he described active imagination. It may be no accident that spirit journeys have a close kinship with Jung, and that when we engage in spirit journeys, we come out at a similar place as Jung did, closer to a unity of body, mind, and spirit, closer to living our animal. If you're curious about how this process worked for me and how it worked on me during the first year, you can check out my book, Tamed by a Bear. So, we have a great deal to learn from animals about how to live closer to reality, or as we often say, closer to nature. And with regard to COVID, we need a lot more of living our animal. We need being more truthful about a deadly pathogen still circulating among us, instead of trying to minimize it or ignore it. Because only by seeing it clearly can we take steps to stop it from spreading, and only by stopping the spread can we all be safe. For in a pandemic, we're not safe until all of us are safe. In the very hour that I am writing these paragraphs, the journal Nature publishes a new study, a consensus study that brought together 386 health experts from 112 different countries. They came to agreement on what needs to happen at this point in time with regard to COVID. Most of their recommendations come in at close to or more than 90% agreement from all 386 of them. And these near-unanimous recommendations include things like making tests and protective gear and treatments economically available to all, preventing the spread of COVID through multiple paths such as wearing masks, working remotely, and installing air cleaning equipment, and of course, giving much more attention to protecting the children. I see a lot of truth-telling here. These 386 health experts are seeing reality clearly, not shying away from the things that need to be done to take care of ourselves. Most of the actual pathways towards safety are easy. Face masks, air filtering, safety equipment. The much harder part is bringing our minds into alignment with our bodies, leaving behind denial. We need more fierceness on our own behalf and on behalf of our children. We need more single-minded purpose, the kind of energy that gets freed up when we drop our defenses and denial and come out of our bunkers to face the truth. And the truth is that life is precarious and we need to do everything we know how to do to survive. And the other truth is that life is so very, very precious that it's worth every effort. Wishing us all the fierce, clear sight of a mother doe protecting her fawns, the courage to step out of denial, the heart attuned to reality, and the power to act from a mind and body joined as one. You've been listening to Nature Spirit, a podcast with Priscilla Stuckey. For a transcript of this episode, or if you'd like to read further on the topic, go to my website, priscillastuckey.com, and click on the Nature Spirit link. Or check out my books, Kissed by a Fox and Other Stories of Friendship in Nature, and 
Tamed by a Bear, Coming Home to Nature Spirit Self, both published by CounterPoint Press. Until next time, be well and be blessed.